You're listening to sermons from La Cunada Congregational Church and Pastor Kyle Sears. Join us in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. in La Cunada for worship. You can find more information about our church online at lacanadachurch.org. So I think I'm pretty terrible at gift giving um, because I, I want to meet people's needs. And so a lot of times what I give is pretty pedestrian, like it's it's helpful, but it's, there's no wow factor to it. You know, it's just something normal. Or if I do find something that I think is like really cool and exciting, I don't want to wait until it's time to give the gift. I want to say, hey, I got this thing for you. It's pretty great. And in fact, yesterday I was planning, uh, Eric and I celebrate 25 years uh, next summer. And so I've been planning our trip and I found this cool thing. And I just would say like, hey, I think we're going to do this cool thing. Like not even waiting until next summer to kind of have a surprise. Um, and, I, and I think part of the fun of getting gifts is getting them early, right? That should be part of the package is you can go ahead and play with your toys now. You don't have to wait till Christmas. Um, but, but maybe you've been that way, like so excited to give a gift that you couldn't wait to give it, right? And you just want to do it. That, that's the attitude that Paul is hoping that the Corinthian church has when it it's time for them to take up this offering that would be given to this Jerusalem church, um, that, that he is going to uh, invite them to consider the part that they would play to support the poor in Jerusalem and wants to get them excited about writing a check. And so here's what Paul has to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 12. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it's written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. And so Paul begins by comparing the way we give to planting seeds. That if we're stingy in the way we would sow the seed, only two drops in each one, rather than this abundant scattering as we just throw it on the ground, then that's that, that stingy sowing it will lead to a stingy harvest. That generous giving opens the door for generous returns. Now it would be foolish to simply plant enough in that time at least, for just you to eat. It would make sense that if you're gonna plant tomatoes and cucumbers, you should at least feed your family who lives around and then maybe have enough for Christmas presents or gifts or you know salsa that can be stored away and, and canned. Planting seeds is an act of faith, bottom line. It's an investment in the future that is not only up to you in the work that you're doing, but it's also this alchemy that's happening underneath our feet, hidden in the depths of the soil, unseen and yet active and moving even while we sleep. Jesus will often use metaphors of planting and gardening to a culture that would be very familiar with it in order to talk about what it means to be obedient, that our job is to plant, but it's not to cause things to grow. Our job is to give and allow the Spirit of God to work within that, 
to bring life from soil that was dead. That's the power of of what Paul is trying to connect here is that there is something that we do in our obedience that then opens the door for God to bring flourishing life where there was none previously. And so Paul says God loves a cheerful giver, one who understands that our generosity is a partnership with God. And it in fact embodies our faith in God. It is giving away what is most valuable to us in hope that there would be something springing to life from that thing, but no guarantee for that. And I think that's why this pairing of cheerful and giver, like that seems a little weird because there is this release that happens of I don't know what's gonna happen once I give my time, my money, whatever it is we pour out away. There's so many unknowns that happen when we give. What Paul is saying is that our hearts are an essential ingredient. He says he wants them to give without regret and without compulsion. That doing so would somehow undermine the harvest. Which then tells me that the end goal in this giving that Paul is inviting them to participate in, specifically the giving of this offering for the poor in Jerusalem, is not about somehow getting more money in on the back end, right? That God somehow pays us with interest and dividends for our generosity on one, but there's something spiritual in the mix that the way we give matters as much as what and how and how much we give. That we shouldn't expect to pray under compulsion or pray regretfully, only praying when things are going terribly. We wouldn't expect to come to worship only when life is miserable for us and we need a little bit of you know, boost in Jesus. And Paul is saying in the same way here, we don't give only when we're desperately in need of things, but we also give cheerfully when life is good as a way of celebrating. And so the, the discipline of giving is a spiritual discipline. It's a way of unbinding our hearts that often uh, do things under duress because we have to, like go to work, right? Help the kids with homework. We're terrible if we don't, and so we do it. But what Paul is inviting us to consider is that there's a way to cheerfully lay down our lives and all that make up our life to support others. And then Paul makes a pretty bold statement. He says that God gives us enough of what we need out of God's abundance. But it's not just enough to get by. It's not the very bare minimum that we would need to exist. What Paul says is that God gives us enough so that we might be abundant in our generosity. That all that we have is enough to not only care for our needs, but the needs of those around us. To be surprising in our generosity and overflowing in how we would share. The church in Corinth had a hard time believing this, and I think it makes sense when you realize that they lived a pretty wealthy lifestyle compared to the rest of the Roman Empire. They were a port town, trade center, and they had money. At least maybe their neighbors did. And so if they would look around and say, well, the neighbors are putting a new addition on their house, and they've got a new car in the driveway, and they're traveling internationally for vacation, and we're stuck with staycations and minivans, they might feel like if we save up more, we'll be able to keep up with the Joneses. If we keep some for ourselves, we'll be able to do all the things that we would wanna be able to do. What Paul says is that 
Without the eyes of faith, it's easy for us to only see what we don't have. The eyes of faith give us the capacity to see all that we have in abundance. When I started working, uh, I was 14, um, and, and I could drive because I had a worker's permit to do that. Um, and I would sometimes have to go and get food, you know, on the way to or from my work after school. Um, and that would often mean, especially if I got a paycheck uh, before I had to, you know, turn it over to the basic needs of the family, I could stop and get some fast food. Um, and Taco Bell at the time had 59 cent tacos. And I could get like two or three of those and pay like two bucks and have a meal. And that was like sufficient for what I wanted. But there was also those aspirational menu items, right? Those things that you're like, if you're going to splurge, you're going to. And I think in, in Taco Bell parlance, grande meant with sour cream. Um, because tacos grande were 79 cents. Nachos bel grande, buck 29. But it was basically, yeah, y'all know, it was their normal stuff with sour cream on it. <laughs> to the point where even today, if I put sour cream on an enchilada... I feel kind of fancy, like I'm classing this up a little bit. This is not just your pedestrian poor people food anymore. <laughs> because sometimes we have to discover the abundance around us even if it's maybe not quite so abundant. If we have eyes to see, even sour cream feels a little special, you know, um, less, less trailer park <laughs> than what I grew up with. But you know, I think because so much of our life is ordered by money, Making it, spending it, fearing a future without it, hoping for the future when we, you know, win the lottery or cash out or whatever. We, we stunt our imagination when we think that giving money will make us money. When we think that somehow writing a check to the church that says, you know, for Jesus, that Jesus is going to be like, well, it looks like I got a pretty high interest rate I got to pay out later on. When we think that this sort of transactional relationship with God is all that we are doing, that we give in order to get, we stunt the imagination of faith. And we think that God is owing us something for our faithfulness. And that breaks, again, the way we would become cheerful givers. Because God is so much more resourceful and creative than how we would imagine. I mean, think about the gifts that God already provides us freely, cheerfully, and abundantly. Community and purpose and well-being, satisfaction and friendships and resilience and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Generosity enriches the soil so that all of those things can grow. And if we're only targeting the soil to make us richer, then we end up actually stunting the growth of all the other things. So Paul tells them your generosity is going to well up in the lives of others. That this overflow out of abundance, based on this infinite supply of all that God has given you, to be generous. And there's ways we can anticipate what that would look like, and then there's also those unknown surprises of what happens when we are generous and kind. That there's this tangible good that this money will provide to the poor in Jerusalem. They could imagine what that would look like in food and shelter and provision. But then there's also this something eternal in the mix, 
something that lasts, something that harkens back to the psalmist that says, let those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, that this everlasting worship that comes out of these small tangible gifts, that thanksgiving overflows from one to the other, that this is how the multiplication of God happens. So what if we gave in such a way that the person to whom we give could never dream of paying it back. Now, the way that worked in the Roman economy was this patronage system, that as a wealthy and honorable person, I'd throw a little bit of money your way, and as a result, you owe me one. You're gonna be loyal to me. And if I ever come calling and I need you know, one of your kids to help be a servant, or I need your vote in the Senate, or I need whatever, you're gonna make sure that I'm the one you support. And what Paul is saying in these few words and then throughout some other writings that he does is my intent is to break the patronage system. To break this transactional, I'm better than you and you owe me one. That God is not our patron that we throw a little money toward and then God comes calling or the other way around that God now bestows us with grace and that we have to now slink before. But instead, imagine if we were to give so abundantly that a person could never dream of repaying us and we would never hold that over their head. We would never say, remember when we blawed for you to blah? That that then breaks the system. That then undermines. Because I think a lot of churches are still in this sort of we give to get mindset. It's very easy to slip into because that's the way the world works. And so there's churches who say, you know, we're gonna host this trunk or treat with off-brand candy and we better see you on Sunday, you know, (laughs) if you come to that. I've known pastors who've decided when to pass the offering plate based on like, is the sermon gonna be better than the music because then we wanna pass the offering plate after that because it'll get more money than, but if the music's a real banger, we wanna pass the plate after that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cynical and sickening. But I see the work that we do in our community as an investment, And it would just cheapen the work if we expect that return to only come for an hour on Sunday. I believe that the life of faith should be accessible to all at all times. And that there are those who may not be open to finding themselves in this place at this time for whatever reason. But the steady discipline of generosity will form us in a way that is truly life-changing. You see, last week in, in chapter eight, Paul was talking about the giving that the church does. And here he's becoming a specific to each individual as they throw their offering into this big bucket that's gonna go and help. And what he's hoping that they would cultivate is this imagination of lives that are changed, not simply more people showing up. So one of the commitments we've made as a church is to consider the work we do in our community beyond the walls, aimed at our neighbors, not for us, as an investment. So we offer movies in the park, right? For no other reason than just to come and spend time with one another. A way to bless the community with something that is a deep cry that they have, because I've heard them say this, I wish there was more things that we could just connect our, with our neighbors. And so we do that. Or we offer supplies for making lunches that make a difference. And we have a dozen kids every Monday putting together sandwiches and chips and pickles and cookies and maybe taking a cookie or two home. It's okay. And each week faithfully providing lunch for people. 
We host community discussions around contentious issues because Facebook is not the place for that. <laughs> and so we put people in front of each other. And I think it's tempting sometimes to look around and like, wait a minute, we showed them Goonies on Friday and they're not here on Sunday? What gives? <laughs> but few investments would pay the kind of dividends we want on that kind of timetable. Instead, I would like us to imagine the fruit that is generated and the offerings that are given well beyond what can happen for an hour on Sunday. That if we place our commitments beyond ourselves, that what we find is that all those things come back to us in surprising ways. And that's the part of what makes it fun to be a person of faith, is God unexpectedly showing up, even when we think God's going to, in surprising, special ways. And so we are called to produce thanksgiving in our generosity. That's kind of the aim that Paul is going for. And it certainly comes to those whose needs are met. They would thank us for the work that we do. But it overflows, is what Paul says, is that that thanksgiving can't be just captured by those we are directly benefiting. That there are others who will bear witness to the work that we do. Family members and friends and community members who read about it in the paper or whatever, and they see there's something different about the way these people are working. They're giving freely. They're sharing. They're inviting. They're opening their space for people who otherwise would not be welcome in any other place. That is the power, I think, that goes beyond this tangible good that is offered and into something eternal. What Paul says and, and the promise that Paul makes is that we will be enriched in every way in our generosity, in every way. I think it would have been so short-sighted. I'm glad Paul didn't do it to say, and if you give some money, you will be enriched financially in that giving. What short-sightedness. <laughs> Instead, Paul's like, I want you to imagine what every way means. I want you to think about what the abundant, overflowing grace of God looks like. And I want you in that generosity of anticipation of what God may do to make your lives a generous outpouring not only to the needs you see, but to the needs that are out there that is easy to overlook. And that in that generous outpouring, not just from one of us, but from all of us, what we see is this eternal explosion of grace and worship, of thanksgiving and honor given to God. And so my hope is that we would offer not just our calendar or our checkbook, but our whole life so that God's grace might be known. Amen.